Hello and welcome to Making It, the podcast about making theatre and making it as an artist. I'm your host, Tammy Wilkie, and each week I'll be chatting to an emerging playwright, theatre maker or theatre company about how they make theatre, why they make theatre and what they do to survive. I'm really, really pleased to welcome Margaret Perry to the podcast this morning. Margaret is an award-winning playwright from Cork, whose debut play, Porcelain, opened at the Abbey Theatre in 2018. The play is a tender retelling of the Celtic myth of the changeling, and it tells the story of two women across two centuries that are not entirely there. I think it's a really beautifully crafted story about relationships, the complexities of motherhood, and feeling like you want to escape. Margaret's second play, Collapsible, is a one-woman monologue and has picked up a host of awards from the Vaults Festival in London to the Dublin Fringe and has just returned from a hugely successful run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Collapsible opens at the Bush Theatre on the 5th of February and I cannot wait to see it. Margaret, welcome. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. No, not at all. Um, The first question I kind of open with is like, um, I'm just wondering how you got into theatre. What was your journey into it? Um... Yeah, so I suppose I always wanted to write, um, like from when I was small. And I sort of thought, I used to read these books um, about this vet who was also a writer. So I was like, maybe I'll be a vet and a writer. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> like, but it was always writing and the vet thing, you know, obviously <laughs> went, went by the wayside at, at some point. Um, but uh, in terms of theatre, I think I didn't really see many plays until I was maybe, yeah, when I was a teenager, I saw um, Disco Pigs. Mm. A version, not the original, because that's before my time, but a, a, like a revival done mm-hmm. in the same space that the original had been done. Mm. Um, Where was that space? In the Granary Theatre in Cork. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I just remember thinking like, I didn't realise that like this, this, th- that language to me felt like the language of novels. And so I'd always thought I wanted to write fiction. And then when mm. I saw that being spoken, I was like, oh, I didn't realise you could write plays like that. I didn't write, realise anyone except like Shakespeare wrote plays in the first place. Mm. And the idea that you could write a play about Cork, where I'm from, and like put it in the mouths of these two young people who were mm. sort of teenagers or with the kind of age that I was when I saw that. It was really exciting. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of put the idea into my head. And then I sort of thought I might try a bit of acting. Um, and I really, there's loads I loved about that. But what I didn't like was having to like be physically on stage. <laughs> you know? It's a big bit of <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's really crucial. Um, and so then when I was at uni, I sort of, it sort of clicked for me that I love writing and I love theatre. And mm. Those two things could be put together it's so interesting that it like the the sort of blending of those two things like came quite late um yeah super late like I still thought even when I graduated my BA I still thought oh I, I want to write but probably I should try to like write like a novel or mm. you know why I, did that feel like the kind of best way to do it like well I think it's because I didn't know anyone who was a playwright and because there wasn't very many it's probably different here maybe but in Cork, there wasn't a whole lot of contemporary playwrights on our course. Mm. And that's not to knock the course, it's brilliant. And like we learned, we did a lot of like South American playwrights. We did mm. so much Brecht. We did, but there was no like, there was no one who was, was sort of my age or, or, you know, even 10 years older than me that mm. I knew who'd written a play. So sort of like, I don't really know how to. Yeah, I think that's the know? thing with like contemporary playwrights, like across the board, like you kind of don't really know about them unless you work in theatre, which like until you've like graduated or you know are further into it or know what you want to do that's kind yeah. of when you know about them yeah exactly really, yeah like I feel like you're like Shakespeare that's a play right and like that's kind of where your brain stops like because totally. of the way it's taught for a while and I remember like hearing about the Royal Court and that building existing and that being a moment where I was like oh like that's a place where people go to like do writing courses and like there's writers there that are like my age or like you know that aren't kind of like these big lofty people you know mm. well obviously they always they still seemed like you know, obviously, like, intimidatingly brilliant. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I think that was one moment where I was like, oh, maybe I could do that. So mm. I'll try to do that. And so, like, you sort of say that, like, 
you you saw disco pigs like what were you watching much theater before that were you like are your family into theater like how did you kind of like get to the granary like that day like um my family i wouldn't say they're huge into theater um both my friends are doctors um oh, they, the same <laughs> snap <laughs> <laughs> and they like they like theater mm. but it's not something that occurs to them to go to you know mm. and in school we were brought to shakespeare we, well, we used to go to these dreadful shakespeare productions done by like sort of touring amateur groups that were like like no offense to them but yeah. like you know not what you you know <laughs> like we'd all be like oh when is it over yeah um, and so I never remember those really connecting with me how did I go to disco pace I feel like someone gave me a flyer and I asked my parents could I go mm. like I don't think I don't think they particularly brought me um and now though I bring them to stuff and they, mm. they really like it but that's so cool yeah. that's so amazing there's moments where it's like if someone didn't give you that flyer like yeah, would totally. you be where you are right now I know yeah yeah it had such a big impact on me um that's amazing yeah and so like you also said that you always wanted to write and I find it really interesting when people say that because I don't know if I would say the same thing about myself like I, I find mm. that really amazing like were you writing from a young age were you like always kind of scribbling like yeah because like um my, my parents were quite strict in that uh, we weren't allowed to watch tv we could only watch half an hour of tv oh a God. week um, when I was a child until I was about 12 wow. and so I read so much but like, mm. obviously I wasn't reading plays I was reading mm. But I was reading fiction, and so the things I w the thing I wanted to write was fiction because that was what mm. I saw, or that's what was kind of what I was immersed in. Yeah, so I used to write like little stories and stuff. But like mm. I just remember being like, it'd be cool to be a writer. Like that'd mm. be a cool job. I'd yeah. like that, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know why I thought that when I was like six. Obviously, it was a strange child. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever think about do you ever think about writing a novel? Like given yeah, that, for sure. Yeah, yeah at some so point I'd love to. Yeah. Um, obviously, that feels like something that there's no rush to do. You know. Yeah, like, yeah. You can kind of, and I think yeah. Being older, maybe would be so. I don't really know, but yeah, at some point, I'd like to. That's so interesting. I would like never ever think I could write a novel. I just don't think just how long that would take. And like, yeah, yeah I mean, I I'd probably know. be aiming for a novella because they're pretty short, you know, mm. <laughs> a, nice, <laughs> a nice seventy-page novella. Go for that. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, so cool. And so you said you like did a bit of acting. Mm -hmm. Like, when were you doing that? Like, um, you sort I, I sort of could tell that you kind of struggled with being on the stage. But like, what was that process of realizing that that wasn't the right fit? Um, well, we you can study drama as a school subject in Ireland, oh. um, and so we didn't have it in school at all. But I did the lambda exams. Did you do you guys? Oh, yeah, do those I did those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're after like outside school, mm -hmm. so like I did those. Lucky enough that my parents like paid for me to do those, mm. um, and they were like. Um, it was sort of like public speaking slash like mm. speech speech making and you kind of do like I did like Mercutio or whatever. And yeah. Do exams. So yeah, I did those and I did enjoy that. But I don't know. I, I think what I enjoyed more about it was like the language and like learning what the language meant and like mm. unpicking the language yeah. rather than actually saying the words. Um, and then when I did my degree, so my degree was really good because it was drama and English, but the drama side was like a bit of everything, so like uh -huh. a bit of acting, a bit of small bit of writing, not that much, a bit of directing, like you could do a technical module and learn about like sound design and light design and all that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and where did you do that? In Cork in UCC. Mm -hmm. Yeah. University College Cork. Um, but uh, yeah, and that was good because I would never have tried to do a straight acting course, but mm. I would, you know, doing that and getting to do, like we had to do acting. Everyone had to do it in the first two years, sort of just to see what it was like. And mm. Yeah. And when did I, re I don't know. I think I just realized that like, yeah, I, f I just I just feel like it was quite hard, wasn't it? Mm. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it was just hard and I didn't enjoy, I didn't really enjoy the rush of like being like looked at and, mm. you know, all of that. I didn't like that. So yeah, mm. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah. I think there's something good in like having experienced acting though, like as a playwright, because it's like you sort of know you can sort of get a, maybe a better sense of like what tastes good in somebody's mouth totally, to say. Yeah. Like, Actually though, I do remember the moment when I was like, no more acting for me. So when I was in <laughs> an amateur production of Cleansed in the granary, 
and um, I had a tiny part. And I remember there was this scene where me and these two other girls had to like rip up books and like throw them around the stage and like mm. get really angry. And I was kind of enjoying it. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, you yeah. know, and then like my friend at the, at the time threw a hardback book and it like whacked my head. And oh. I was like, right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> my I'm stage career is over. Oh, God, yeah. She's like so in the moment that she's like, <laughs> but, yeah, it's so funny because like I kind of still primarily think of myself as an actor. So I find it really interesting, like with playwrights who are like, no, 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 <laughs> don't yeah, want yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. But I like, I miss it when I'm not getting to say say words with my body and like like tell a story with my soul. I find it like weird only when I like feel like I'm only writing. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I you know what I mean. If you've been like hit over the head with a hard back, like <laughs> you're like, I'm cool. Yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah. I've done that. Um and so you've written two plays. Mm -hmm. uh, have, have you written like anything else? Yeah. Um I mean I did a like my first first play I wrote at university and that was that was on in the granary, but it was ah. like part of the amateur because the granary is now where like, that theater is now sort of a space that the university uses for like teaching and learning. So oh, cool. And the so drama society use it a lot. So my first play was called Goose Chase, which was very um, strange play. But <laughs> <laughs> that was on there. And mm -hmm. I, that, I directed that myself because obviously no oh, one wow. else wanted to direct it. Because <laughs> they were like, what is this? Oh, wait, um, so you wrote it while you were at university? Yeah, That's in my amazing. last year. And then cool. like put it on and they give you like the drama society is amazing they just give you like a little bit of money and like mm. you just put it on and like it's really chill the stakes are really low yeah um so i really enjoyed doing that um but yes and then i i wrote another play as well w when i came moved to london which sort of just like didn't you know was on at the king's That's head for, so like, cool nights like whatever, i find it amazing like when because like you know outward facingly you're like oh cool your debut play is like the one that like people see mm -hmm. but i find it amazing that people have written other ones besides that it's like oh god like you must be so good at doing the thing <laughs> like i, I don't know i feel like um it's the practice like the first play that people have on is really their actual the first play they've ever mm -hmm. written right Do you know right yeah yeah because i suppose it doesn't live until it's in front of an audience and like you learn from that totally mm -hmm. yeah yeah um, and I wrote loads of short plays as well before that, which I thought were, which were really useful to like, mm. practice the arc of a story, I suppose. Nice. And like, so like you've, yeah, written quite prolifically, I would say, in comparison to me, I think that's incredible. Like, what is your process? Like, how do you kind of go about writing? Um, oh, I don't know. How do I go about writing? Well, the first thing I do is that I make sure I have time and like I get mm. really stressed if I don't have enough if I feel like I have a project and I, I don't have enough time to do it, that's the number one kill for creativity for me. Mm. Um, so I, I sort of try and clear, like I, my I, my dream is to have five days that are totally clear and like nothing in the evening either, mm. like just empty days. And um, that's normally when I'm doing a first draft, that's what I'll try and do. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I do have time in the evening, I'll like go out. But if I don't, it just it's just like the pressure of having to leave the house. Mm. Me. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one of the things I do. Uh, what else? I don't know. I feel like I like to sneak up on a on an idea. Mm. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, Ted Hughes has this great uh, essay, which is about writing, writing poetry, mm -hmm. which I always think about when I'm writing plays. It's just it's called like capturing animals. And it's about how he like in the way that you capture wild animals that you like sort of sneak up on it. Mm. And I feel like with plays, I can sort of feel like the glimmer of an idea and I'll like try and. I'll, I'll leave it, I'll leave it kind of brew and I'll sort of then try and gradually ah. grab it. Does that make sense? And sort normally of, yeah. I, I won't, I'll, I'll just be left with like a handful of fur and then I'll like try the next round <laughs> and I'll have like a different net and I'll like try, Whoa. you know, so that's sort of what it feels like a process of like trying to so is it that See you like, the thing is, you, you know? don't, um, it's not like you're like, okay, I've got this idea and I'm going to think it through loads before I put pen to paper. Is it more like I've got a, something of an idea and like, 
you, you put pen to paper like when it's kind of half formed. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's like, um, I know that uh, Peter Brook says this and then Simon Stevens also says it a lot as well, which is the formless hunch mm. thing. Have you heard of, heard this? I think so. Well, it's like Please that you feel the like, hunch <laughs> and you're in your body of a play or of ah. an idea that you know is good and you sort of leave it alone. You leave mm. it alone for a while. So I do f- feel like that is useful to me. And if I try and put pen to paper too early on something, it normally like falls apart. And mm. um, they, they say that there's like two different kinds of like writers. There's like the... Um, what is it? There's like the the bird and the mm. worm. Yeah. And I feel like the, the what you're describing with the formless hunt is maybe the worm. Oh, it's for like, sure. Don't know where I'm going. Like, I'm underground. <laughs> and then like eventually you come up and like you found the play. Yeah. But I think definitely. I'm more of a bird. I think I'm like, okay, in act one, this will happen. And mm. blah, 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 blah. this is, and then it's only when I actually sit down that I'm like, oh no, actually, like it's sort of, it's sort of a combo, but I think I, I can only really start on something where I, if I know where it's going and I'm like, this is A, this is B, this is what it's going to say. And then mm. and then I like surprise myself with like straying from that. Yeah, I definitely think it was a happy medium. I think when I started writing, I would just know nothing and I would sit down <laughs> and like, you know, that's why I had to write like 15 drafts of porcelain, you know, because mm. it's, that's a really time consuming way of writing. Mm. Whereas now, and I also feel like if I know too much, if I know exactly what's going to happen, I'm bored and I don't want to write mm. it because I'm like, well, I've done it already in my head. So what's yeah. the point? Um, but like having a loose, now I try and have... I don't let myself sit down unless I have some loose plan. But like, I say uh, maybe maybe looser than the kind of plan you might make. Mm. Perhaps. But I like <laughs> to I like to have a lot of room f- for surprises to happen. But like mm. some sense or if, or I might have one moment that I know is in there mm. or whatever. And I like how do I get how do I get to that? Like what happens on the other end of it, kind of thing. That's so cool. But yeah, I find it really hard to talk about writing process. So I don't know about you. Like, yeah, it's because it shouldn't be mysterious, really. Mm. And. There's all the the learning and books in the world that can tell you about it, but mm. like it still feels when I sit down fundamentally, like each time I start a new play, I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, I, I have no, no idea. idea. Yeah. How the hell did I write the last thing that I yeah, wrote? Yeah, I'll never Absolutely be able to no do it again. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. There's no way. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's almost why I love the question because it's like, actually, like someone asked me like what my process is and I was like, oh, process? Me? <laughs> I, I'm a fledgling playwright. I don't have a process. And then like when I thought about it, I was like, oh wait, no, I do, mm, I do sort of, Often I do this or, you know, yeah. I feel like it's kind of, I find it helpful a question for me because it's like, it crystal, it helps me remember what I do. No, so that sure. when I'm not like, sat, when I'm sat down, like, how the fuck am I going to do this? I like, have actually remembered as we're talking, one thing that I do do every oh, yeah. time, which is to write the scenes on a little bits of paper. Mm. Uh, so write the titles of the scenes or whatever the title is in my head mm. and lay them out and then see them. So that's how I get my bird's eye view, right? Because mm. I'm like, this is the play and then I can maybe move them around or, yeah, yeah so yeah, that yeah. I do find really useful. Mm, I feel like I do that like a sort of like second draft stage. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that's the when first they come draft. out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I think I know what the whole thing is. Like, wh- what is the whole thing? I'm going to look at it objectively from above. Mm. Yeah. And so do you use like pen and paper? Do you use a laptop? Do you use a combo? I mean, you probably need to use a laptop eventually, but like yeah, how do yeah. you sort of start? Mostly laptop. Um, mm. I can't actually write a draft on pen and paper. I know mm. some people can, but I'll do my like notes and my, my thinking on a pen and paper and then I'll mm-hmm. write my actual play on the laptop. Yeah. What does like a working day look like for you when you're writing? Well, I try and get up at like half eight, nine. Mm. (laughs) That's the earliest I can ever manage. (laughs) Terrible. And then I rent this office space around the corner for me. So I go there to work normally, um, which is really handy because it just separates your evening from your, you know what I mean? Can I ask Um, how much that costs? I've actually been really lucky. It's a hundred quid a month, this one. Okay, great. Which is the cheap, which is the the only one I could possibly afford really. Mm. Um, But... I th- it feels it feels worth it to me. I've only started in the last couple of months because I'm nearly full time writing at the moment, not quite. Mm. But um, it definitely feels worth it to have somewhere to go that isn't my 
kitchen or mm. like my living room area or whatever and is it like because you don't have a desk in your like so i used room. to have a desk in my room mm. and i've now moved that desk to this office space because uh. i did find that th- those days i was talking about when i was when i didn't have the office space when i was yeah. just at home like going to bed would be really hard because be like i've been in this room all day like mm. trying to write a thing and then you're like you can't relax and i think separation of your like leisure space from your writing space is really mm. important mm. and my dream would be to have like a flat where i had like a different room that i could write in yeah i don't have that so Mm. Um, but yes no so my working day go to that office space or if I'm not feeling like it I just won't go do you know but most yeah. of the time I will because um, I pay the money so I have to go which is mm, good that, so yeah, that's, you know? it's almost like the gym but like for your exactly. career yeah. that's so interesting <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm paying yeah. for it it's I've got to go handy, I yeah. know um, and yeah and I'll try and I'll try and like I like to like read a play sometimes before I start or mm. like read something that's try not to go on Twitter like you know and like mm, read yeah, something yeah. that's like going to stimulate my brain a bit um, mm. and then Depends on what I'm working on, what stage is that, really. Mm. But yeah. That's yeah. so cool. And then so, like, you wake up at sort of 8.30 or 9. Do you get there for, like, 10? Try to get there for 10-ish, yeah. yeah. Try to stay until, like, 6 or 7. That's amazing. And do my best to, like... And a lot of the time, I'll, like, work on something different in the morning and the afternoon. Depends on mm. if I'm on deadline, I'll, like, just work on the thing that I'm trying to write. I was writing a first draft, well, so just 1.5 draft or something like last <laughs> week. Mm. And that was just, like, trying to do that the whole day. Yeah. But it's good to be in that space too because if I fail at writing it by like seven, I'll be like, sorry, I have to go home now. Because mm. if I'm at home, I'll probably like keep trying until I exhaust right. myself. And yeah, like that yeah, is just yeah. like a waste of my day, do you mm. know? Um, yeah, so it's a struggle though. It's a struggle to manage your own time, I think. Mm. It's one of the biggest, one of the hardest things I think about being freelance. But yeah. also the most joyous thing as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you find that. but I find it's like, it's so hard to like, you have to be the person that motivates you or to like kind of, get yourself to do the thing like I sometimes like when I'm freelance I'm like I just wish somebody would tell me what I need to do yeah like rather than me being like shall I work on this I'm really struggling with it or shall I like lie down <laughs> like I know I it's so hard. hard yeah I suppose it's just like which thing is I I tend to use it like which which thing is the thing that people need the soonest <laughs> and like, mm, try and just yeah. do that thing um, I think it's also really interesting that you can work on something one thing in the morning and, and something different in the afternoon like yeah not two plays though like I could right. write like maybe like a treatment for something in the right. morning mm-hmm. or, or like something that uses a different bit of my brain I could mm. work on in the morning I suppose or like emails or whatever do you know yes yeah. like a sort of admin yeah, exactly yeah. I like the word treatment I just realized like I've I've sort of know what it, it means from the last like few months but a treatment is basically Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, this is what my TV thing will be. Exactly. Well, I've only written one in my entire life which I wrote <laughs> in the last month. So, mm. yeah, that's my understanding. Um, the, the one I've written anyway is three pages of like an outline for like a six-part series. So mm-hmm. um, I think you can also get one-page treatments which are more condensed and more into, like less less fleshed out, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, that's what it is, I think. Mm. That's, that, that, and that's interesting that like you couldn't work on two different plays in the same day. But I guess it's like, this is a different kind of headspace, like working on treatment or doing some admin. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool about the office because I work in my room because I've got like quite a big, lovely desk in my room. But and sometimes that really works. Like sometimes I, I just because my room is really nice. Like I mm-hmm. really love. It's like it's surround. I'm surrounding myself with nice things. It's like a room of one's own. But my bed is directly behind me. And sometimes that I think I I, I I'm quite like. I'm going to write for an hour, then I'm going to lie down on my bed for 15 minutes, then I'm going to write some more. So mm. it's a bit like carrot and stick. Um, but then sometimes I just can't do it at all. Totally. Well, I think the key for me is flexibility. Like some days I get loads of work done literally in bed. And mm. I'm like, that's really nice. Other days, like if I'm at home, I get nothing done because I'm cleaning or I find yeah. any reason to like not work, <laughs> you know? Um, so I find having somewhere else to, ha- being able to mix it up is like 
yeah my, like helps me with my process yeah if that's what we'll call it yeah <laughs> process <laughs> um and what was the journey towards your first play being programmed like how did that sort of come about yeah in a fairly mad way to be honest <laughs> um I had written porcelain I had written that first in 2014 I did like the young co- the royal court young writers thing oh, cool. when I first moved here mm-hmm. um and I'd written it on that and then I kind of kept doing rewrites and rewrites and rewrites kept applying to competitions kept getting nowhere mm. putting it back in the drawer and then I remember I um I was working full time at the time and I decided I would take there was this one particular competition and I decided I'd take all my annual leave and do a rewrite use it to like rewrite this play and like send it in and like mm. the person who ran the competition had been really encouraging was like we think you should apply you know so all Aww. the signs were good I was yeah. like cool I'm gonna like fully commit to this so I did that sent it in and they wrote to me and they were like you got in the top 10 but you didn't win and I was like Aww. oh my god mm-hmm. do you know and you're just like I am devastated but that was fine so I was like fine okay <laughs> I've done that I'll just you know I'll just leave it for a while and then Deirdre or Helen mm. off the bush mm-hmm. the wonderful Deirdre um, sent it was like have you got that draft mm-hmm. I was like yeah so she's like I'm gonna send it to the Abbey so she sent it to the mm. Abbey on my behalf Oh. Which was great. Yeah, and then they then they sent me an email and they were like, we really like the play. We can't program it, but we want to, you know, keep chatting to you. You know, come and kind of have a coffee, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. Then like two weeks later, they rang me and they were like, we want to do a reading. Can you come to Dublin for the reading? And I was like, oh. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can. Absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> and I then will. I, yeah, and, and I was like, oh, it's in a couple of days. Like, I don't know if I can afford the flights. It'll be quite expensive last minute. They were like, we'll pay for your flight. And I was like, <gasps> No oh one has God. ever paid to fly me anywhere. Ah. <laughs> I'm so excited. So that was cool. Because um, I was like, if they're paying for my flights, like this must be a real thing. Yeah. You know? um, and so, yeah, I went over for the reading. That was great. And mm-hmm. then, then they were like, we're seriously considering programming it. Go back to London, wait by the phone. And then I got a phone call like two weeks later. And they were like, this was in um, October 2017. And mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, we're going to put it on in February 2018. I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> that's so soon. Yeah, it was extremely soon. Yeah. Extremely soon. I mean, I don't know how that all came about, yeah. like how the, that slot was the there. But workings, I, yeah, yeah, it's not for me to question. Ah. Um, yeah, so that was that was brilliant. Um, and then they paired me with this director called Cahill Cleary and we sort of worked kind of basically over Christmas as well. Like we're still mm. emailing. I was like, in like on Stephen's day and my aunt and uncle's being like the play the set the work you know ah. um and yeah it went up and that was great and so that was a kind of like th- th- three four year journey like from, pretty much yeah. yeah I mean the the actual like finally getting it on was all very quick but like the writing of the play had been so slow and yeah. it was so when when they picked it up the script was like so ready like obviously I did some rewrites and stuff but it was pretty ready mm. to be on which is obviously the reason why they it was such a short time you know yeah right um, right but yeah, it was really like the most exciting phone call I have ever received in my mm. life, like for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so after you left uni, like what was the gap between leaving uni and doing the Royal Court um, intro playwriting group? Like and um, what was kind of that journey like? Well, I left in 2013 and then I sort of hung around Cork, um, kind of like doing a bit of like theatre, random theatre things and working and saving. And I was like, I knew I'd moved to either London or Dublin. I was like, which one? Mm. So I sort of applied for things in various places, in both the places. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things I'd applied for was the Royal Court Group. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I get into that, I'm going to move to London. Wow. And so, and then I did. And I was like, right, mm. off I go. Even <laughs> though I had no job lined up at that point, but my aunt lives here. So was, oh. thankfully I was able to like sleep on her couch for, you know, a month or so while mm-hmm. I like found a job and things. Mm. So yeah. So that was in like, well, I finished my course in 2013, like June. And then that was the following year, 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had that sort of random year of just like, what am I doing? Yeah. How, you know? how do I do this? Yeah, exactly. Life? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. really amazing. Like, because like, because I, I did the course in 20, end 20, 2017 mm-hmm. and like, because I lived in London, it was just like really simple. Yeah. Um, 
but also like because it is like it's free which is great but like they don't pay you to do no, it like they course. can like pay you if you don't live in london they can pay you to tra- travel to like do it um but that, i found that amazing to be like okay well i'm i'm into this so, so i'll just yeah i mean london. looking back it was a, a pretty ludicrous thing like it was a <laughs> 10 week course once a week it wasn't like a master's or yeah, you know what i mean yeah, but yeah. i was like it's gonna be amazing i have to go and yeah. i remember I, it started the day after i arrived in london and we had one of those like first day like who are you and what are you up to and they did that thing where they pay you with someone and it's like say say two truths and a lie mm. and one of my truths was that, like I moved here yesterday and this girl was like that must be your lie I was like nope <laughs> <laughs> this is it yeah here I am <laughs> she's like you are insane <laughs> but yes and how did you find it yeah it was brilliant I learned so much and it just made me feel like I can try and do this mm. you know um and I met people that I still am in touch with now mm. on it it was and it was run by Leah Butler who's yeah just such a wonderful man and like such a great like a very encouraging dramaturg you know mm. that's so cool and then so after you like moved to London up um once you got in, like what what were you doing? Like so as in the as you were writing rewriting porcelain, what mm. was like what did your life look like? Because you said you had a job, was it yes. and it's like full time, yes. so you had to take that yeah, annual leave. Yeah, so that um was at the Royal Court on the box office. Actually. Oh cool. So yeah. Um So you were just like in the Royal Court. Well I was it's like, like <laughs> this box office job came up while I was doing the course and I right. was like, I really and I've been playing I applied I was unemployed for quite a long time when I moved here, like mm. three months. Um, and it's part of what Collapsible is about, I suppose, mm. in that, like, that period of being sort of sitting in a house, you know, with nowhere, just applying to, <laughs> to jobs mm. or whatever, nowhere to go in the daytime. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I applied to so many arts, entry-level art jobs, literally, I would say, like, 10 a week. Mm. I got no interviews for anything except wow. for the Royal Court. They wow. could interview me for this box of job, and then I got it. And I was like, thank God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, that yeah. must be, like, so comforting <laughs> for people to hear, because, like, God, that, like how are they so competitive like I, I sort of know but also it's like for you to not get any interviews like yeah I mean I don't know like I suppose maybe I didn't quite know what I wanted to so I was probably spreading myself like I was mm. playing for like random publishing things like literally anything I could find that sounded even vaguely relevant to like having done an art degree I was mm. like I'll throw, throw in yeah. an application um but yeah the Royal Court were like lovely to me and yeah gave me box office job and I still have that job now like not I'm not full-time anymore but mm. um that's like five years later do you know so mm. So yeah, and that's then so when I was writing, yeah, that's what I was mainly doing as mm. well. Cool. And then so once um, Porcelain was programmed, like what was that journey like? Because you were talking, you were like talking a lot with the director before it opened, but like what was the rehearsal process like as a writer? Like how did that kind of feel? Yeah, it was um, very quick and a bit like scary, I'd <laughs> say. Um, mm. Also because I was based here, it was tricky because I couldn't be in like I had to fly over to be in rehearsal. So I was there for the mm. first week, but I kind of missed the middle of rehearsal. I felt, mm. I feel like if it happened on in London, I could have popped in and out a bit more easily. Yeah. But it felt like if I was there, there needed to be like a reason. And yeah. there were some moments where I think like maybe the director wasn't sure if he'd need me and then he sort of did need me, but mm. I wasn't there. And like we did a lot of stuff over Skype, but like would have been yeah. better if I was in the room, you know? Mm. So yeah, I'd say I would have liked to have been there a bit more, but no, it was great. Um, Yeah, it was, it was so quick, I would say. Mm. I wish we'd had more lead in time. How many, um, ha- like how many weeks of rehearsal did you have? Uh, we had four weeks of rehearsal that they started, but then. I feel like it's not even the, re- the rehearsal time isn't what, what we needed more of, though. It's mm. more like the time to like chat and get to know like a writer, director collaboration, right, right. you know, and like yeah. so you can understand each other's taste and you can kind of yeah. like, um, I felt like we didn't have that much time to do that, mm. which was like obviously and we were both under pressure in terms of it both being like our first play at the Abbey and like mm. that being a big deal. And yeah. like, you know, so that was, yeah. Um, so there was like pros and cons to having it on so quickly, but it also was amazing that it was on yeah. so quickly as well. So mm. you kind of, yeah. Um, but no, it was great. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> just, just like what just it was like. like yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was it was really great. And the, the actors were brilliant. 
Um, yeah, I just feel like it was difficult not being in Dublin was mm. the main was the main thing. Mm. Um, but I also think the most valuable time for the writer to be in the room is in the middle of the process for me anyway. Because mm. at the start it's a bit too early to to say stuff, right? Because there's nothing, no decisions have been made, and at the end it's a bit too late to say stuff because all the decisions have been made. Whoa, that's so interesting because, like, so I'm a huge fan of the Royal Court Playwright mm. Podcast. Like, I, I'm obsessed with it. Um, it's <laughs> part of the reason why I was inspired yeah, to like, me make too. this one. Yeah, yeah. I listen to like I every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just so interesting because like hearing about the usual way that processes work is usually the, the writers in for the first week and the fourth week so like for you to say that you feel like actually that those the that's the least useful point for you to be in i find that so interesting especially speaking somebody who's about to go into rehearsal process not till not for quite a few months but like yeah that's so fascinating yeah yeah no you're you're right that is the conventional wisdom um isn't it and it's Mm. it's a frank mcginnis quote that i'm really quoting is that he's like you know he had a thought in the first week and he put his hand up and the director said it's too early frank put the hand down Ah. and then he had a thought in the last week and the director was like it's too late frank and that was like i found that to be my experience a bit i think wow Um, yeah i think it's really good and i think every director has a different idea of like tom for collapsible was like come in all the time be there any minute you want yeah so i think people have different um kind of processes too don't they as directors and and which do you feel like you prefer like because are you the kind of writer that you're like if I could be in the room all the time that'd be great or are you like oh I kind of want to like be able to just let this go and let them do their thing I think I'm in between I don't want to be in the room all the time because Mm. I'm not needed in the room all the time and I hate sitting around when like I know that there's no point me being there do you know what I mean yeah um but I do like the idea that I can come in whenever or Mm. that there's a time like I like to sit down with a director or at least I have with Tom anyway and be like when is it most useful for me to come in yeah I'll plan to be there then you'll plan that I'm going to be there and mm. so you'll have something to show me we'll have time to chat about it yeah and that and then I'll come in again maybe in a couple of days so mm. yeah I think that back and forth is really important mm. yeah yeah I I it's so funny talking like my favorite thing about this is talking to people who have done it because mm. I haven't yet so yeah. it's like oh what will I be what will I want um yeah because I really do feel like the first week, while it's lovely, it's more like a pat on the back for you to have, for having it in the play. <laughs> you know, it's like you get to hear these amazing actors mm. read it. You get to be like, oh, my play is going to be on. And it's so fun and it's so nice. Yeah. But what you can offer, what what by being there at that point, it feels like not that much. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe they'll have questions for you, fine. But yeah. like, in terms of actually developing the play. Yeah. Because it's not in anyone's bodies yet. Yeah. Like, no one knows the lines. So it's like, what can you actually... Do, do you know this is very useful thank you so much <laughs> you're welcome which is my experience but yeah yeah and so like sort of rehearsal process sure that happens mm-hmm. like what was your tech rehearsal like um like what was it like kind of putting the lights and the sound and everything like on top of like the writing that you'd made oh i hate tech it's so <laughs> tedious um mm. <laughs> like it's cool to see it's really amazing to watch everything happen but it happens so slowly like it takes 12 mm. hours or whatever um but yeah no it was i mean it's great but i that that process is something i'm very much divorced from like i feel mm. like that's really that's not my job is how I feel and yeah. I love watching amazing people whose job it is to do it like making it beautiful but I yeah. sort of wouldn't have didn't have much input I, on both processes like the directors were like what do you think and I'd be like I think this and this and then they'd sometimes they'd take on board what I thought or sometimes mm. they didn't but like that I felt like that by by that point it felt like my job is mostly done you know mm, yeah so I guess like because I, I, was, I was sort of like today was like oh yeah how do you explain a tech rehearsal to somebody who like is not in theatre and yeah. like it is basically when like the play is there, like mm-hmm. p- like mostly, and it can, can change in previews and press nights, like before press night and stuff. But actually, it's like making it like live, like with the lights and the sound design and like putting everyone in the set. And I suppose like I can imagine feeling a bit like, okay, well, 
like this is out of my hands now yeah totally yeah like rehearsals are over and if you have a thought I feel like like you say it to the director and they might pass it on or they might not so it's mm. less of a like like your loop between you and the director is quite quite a tight bond you know mm. whereas between you and the designer like I wouldn't go up to the sound designer and be like I don't like this bit yeah, you know because yeah. that would feel or why, why don't we try this but then it depends on I imagine it very much depends on the kind of processes you're in and the kind of room that's created mm. and I'm sure there's some writers who would have very much have that relationship with designers that they work with so yeah but that's that was my experience anyway mm-hmm. yeah. and so like after tech was over like what was it like like seeing it in front of an audience and like for the first time yeah it was so exciting oh my gosh mm. it was great um I had a hilarious first first preview of porcelain though because uh, in a, the, at the abbey they do free first previews which is amazing mm. and so you just queue up in the whole the whole house is, is comped that night mm. um and there's a queue like around a building it's lovely to like watch people queuing for your play You're like Aww. oh what <laughs> um but uh I had a really funny experience because I was sitting in the second row and this is going to sound negative, but it's actually, it was actually a really positive moment for me mm. sitting in the second row. And there was these two women who clearly weren't enjoying the, the play and mm. hadn't really expected, didn't know what they'd come to see, mm. you know, because it was a free ticket. Yeah. And then um, one of them was eating a huge bag of apples. <laughs> apples? Like, really like <laughs> just, just crunch, crunch, thing. crunch, <laughs> put down the core, pick up another one. And wow. but she seemed to enjoy it more. But then her friend at one point just turned to her and loudly went, this is a stupid play. <gasps> and I was sitting like two seats down or whatever. And my friend was with me, like squeezed my leg. I was like, it's fine or whatever but like oh I actually found God. that so so freeing because and I feel like maybe this is a terrible maybe my brain is just weird and this is a terrible story to tell on a podcast but like, <laughs> I just found it really like I've made this thing that I've worked so hard on it I'm so proud of mm. and there's always going to still be someone who shrugs yeah. do you know what I mean that's the nature of making art like someone yeah. is going to go not for me I'm yeah. sorry I'm good and then they did Vox Pops after the show <laughs> and they asked this woman what she thought yeah. and she was like I would have preferred a Sean O'Casey and I was like cool like yeah. that's not what you came to see you so. love Sean O'Casey <laughs> do you know what I, I mean? am not Sean O'Casey have done, uh, <laughs> have, the Abbey have done 57 productions of The Plough and the Stars alone mm. you know that's more productions wow. than they've ever done by women so <laughs> like <laughs> like you if know, that's your bag yeah if that's your fine. bag great <laughs> but the times they are changing um so yeah so that was my first time what was my first experience watching the show and like but obviously the, also it was full and people loved it and like clapped and mm, that was really nice and yeah. like listening to the moments that people laugh and the moments that people are leaning forward and then the moments that their their attention is wandering is so useful and so like because w- you, like during previews like it is possible to like change things like did you take cues from that like when you were sat in the audience like during the previews were you like oh actually I've lost them here like I'm gonna redraft this or I'm gonna cut things like did it change much like in the previews um lines wise not like I can't say that lines wise not so much mm-hmm. made a few tiny cuts but it was mostly for Kyle the director to like he, so he made changes about like the length of a sound cue or like mm. the sort of lights coming up too soon or going down too soon or mm-hmm. all of that. Um, yeah, so no, a few changes, but mm-hmm. not, I feel like some shows change a lot in previews. Mm. That probably is like, um, I went to talk with Lucy Preble and she's saying how much a very expensive poison is changing. Mm. But I feel like she's at such a much more advanced point in her career. Mm. I feel when it's your first play, mm. there's an element of like, it's done now and I don't know what else to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's sort of like everything was sort of bedded in. So mm. yeah, just kind of small changes, I'd say. Mm. And like, I mean, I think that's such an amazing way to view it. Like, I'm okay with the fact that someone like didn't like it. Like, I think that's incredible. Yeah, I just um, find it immensely freeing. Like, that's so you know? cool. <laughs> that's also just like such a great thing for me to hear at this point. Like, it's like, yeah, maybe people will hate it. That's fine. I'm not there yet, but hopefully I will get there. <laughs> but um, did you go very much? Like, did you see it? Like, did you go in to see it very often? Yeah, I well, I wasn't in Dublin for the whole run. Um, mm-hmm. But well, I was over about three or four times and mm-hmm. I went. Yeah, I'd say I watched at least 50% of the shows. Mm. Um, and every time I was in Dublin, I watched it basically. Um, yeah, no, it was great. It was great to see it loads of times. Like, I think you learn a lot from watching 
it, it loads of times and mm. yeah yeah and it, it does feel weird to be like know that your place on but not be at it I yeah find that, I found that in Edinburgh too with collapsible like I was like oh I'm, maybe I won't go today because I have seen it the last seven shows but you're like oh but like what else will I do yeah. <laughs> how will I leave it <laughs> exactly <I'm>, ah. mm. <laughs> but yeah incredible so you sort of said earlier that you like you're, so, you're sort of full-time at the moment like as a writer mm-hmm. like what were you doing you're sort of saying like the royal court but like is that the main job that you had to like kind of sustain you like when you weren't getting paid for writing yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, because the good thing about, they've now changed it, but the, that job used to be that our, our days were 10 hours long, but mm. that meant you could do a full-time week in four days, which oh, wow. was really useful mm-hmm. money-wise, because it would be like those days would be write-offs, but then I could I could spend two days writing, say, and mm-hmm. one weekend day or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's kind of used to how I used to set up stuff. Yeah. And now I'm I'm on zero hours, so I, I do, I probably, I do like one shift a week at the moment, but mm-hmm. like if I don't have money from writing, I can up do that more. a bit or, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And I guess like, it can be really difficult, I guess, in the sort of run up, like when you're looking for jobs all of that time and like doing the writers group. But before like your play was programmed, like how did you kind of like motivate yourself and sustain yourself and like manage your mental health? Like when you were in such a sort of precarious position, like on the cusp of like things happening with your God, writing? I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I used to I used to Google other writers and what they were doing and how old they were and that I cannot recommend mm, um, don't do that don't, <laughs> don't do, do that. that don't do whatever yeah it just sends you into like a spiral a sad a sad brain spiral um although I do remember reading like I read this one interview with the guy who wrote Mad Men Matthew mm. Weiner I think <laughs> Weiner <laughs> that's such a weird thing yeah I, I, I shouldn't have said that maybe <laughs> you have a nice name Matthew Weiner sorry <laughs> We're sorry, we're sorry, Matthew. <laughs> um, but I re- <laughs> he has this great interview, which I recommend anyone to seek out, where he talks about how long it took him to like get anything for anything to happen with Mad Men, and like how he spent so much of his twenties like sitting on the couch, like playing video games. <laughs> and I remember reading that, and that made me feel, feel better because I was mm. like, well, not that I was necessarily sitting on the couch playing video games, and not that he probably was either. I bet he was doing more than he said, you know. Mm. But like, I think, yeah, um, yeah, I guess. And just trying also not to think about it all the time and like have mm. other things that I cared about and not be obsessive about, you know, or not let the rejections knock me back. I feel I'm very pig headed, you know, mm. and that's been helpful to me. But mm. also like <laughs> there's nothing else that I want to do. Mm. And I think if there was something else I wanted to do, I would have done that by now. Yeah, because it's, it's so really hard. hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And also, I think I actually I'm, I phrase that question in a like interesting way like it's like oh because you're now a full-time writer like it's now easy and like actually it's like how do you still manage your mental health like like how do you like negotiate that freelance like oh I've got to motivate myself to get up and do the thing like is that still a journey that you're sort of like juggling yeah absolutely and still like I mean even though I say like I'm full-time now it's kind of like if I don't get a job in the next month I'm gonna have to you know it's never Mm, like like yeah you know, I never feel like I'm sorted. Yeah, it's like full time for the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, my a friend of mine, Ruby, is always saying like, that's how she feels like she's full time for now, but she never, but if she has to go back to her old job, she's trying, tries not to see it as a failure, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really yeah. important way of thinking about it rather, rather than like, I've quit in a blaze of glory and like, that's <laughs> it now, I'm, yeah. you know, because that's not, not the reality of the industry, unfortunately, I think. Um, but in terms of m- mental health, when I'm writing, yeah, like I have, I have the odd really terrible day, but mm. like most of the time I just try and, um, not try and go outside and not not write that those days if I can mm. or not beat myself up about yeah. not getting work done. Also, I think we forget that like in a normal job, not that this is an abnormal job necessarily, but in a, in a nine to five, people sitting at an office 
a desk in an office, they have terrible days as well. And they probably yeah. have days where they get absolutely nothing done, but they've mm. but but they've they've sort of tangibly been paid for that day. So it doesn't yeah. feel as bad. Yeah. I feel like when I've done nothing at home, I'm like, well, no one's paid me for today technically, and I've achieved nothing, so I feel mm. terrible. You know, yeah. but it's like allowing yourself to. Mm. Have have the odd unproductive day or whatever, mm. and giving yourself proper weekends as well. Like, don't yeah. like work through your weekends all the time. Like, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so often when you're freelance, you like are like, oh wait, I haven't had a day off for fourteen days. I know that's not yeah. good. And the meaninglessness of bank holidays. Everyone's like, I'm so yeah. excited. You're like, no, <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> I didn't even know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I find it interesting when it's like when you're having a bad day, like knowing whether or not to stop, like like the balance of like. Oh, I, I'm not writing, but I can push through or whether it's like, no, I'm not writing. and I'm not going to be able to write and I should just like cut myself some slack and relax. Like, how do you manage that? Like, do you have a. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. How do I manage that? Well, it depends on like if I have a deadline, I'll try and I'll be like, right, well, I have to. Yeah. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that gets me out of my funk. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I if I'm if I have a bit more of a flexible day or whatever, or like there's nothing imminently needed from me, I will try mm. and just let myself. But I'm not sure if I I'm not sure if I have the answer to that. Yeah, it's not like an I exact. I often push myself when I should rest, you know, mm. and sometimes I rest when I should have yeah. got out of bed, you know. Um, but then it's good, like obviously, as, as well as having a writing day, there's like days when I have like meetings and stuff, and those mm. days are good because it's like you just get out of your and you know you have to go, you have to go meet this person, you're not going to yeah. cancel on them probably, unless you're like really really unwell. But like, mm. yeah, I find that good too. Yeah, because I feel like sometimes if it's like I've got a meeting at three, I've I've got to get something done, like even yeah. if it's small, like exactly, you know, just whack something out yeah super useful mm. yeah and like what does success look like for you like if you were to imagine like yourself in five years or ten years like what what would you kind of want like or hope for oh what a good question I think <laughs> well to me it looks like being able to make a full-time living from writing that is like relatively like that is decent that I could like maybe own a house when I'm like 45 50 mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know 204. I mean? yeah. yeah like my goals are humble but you know <laughs> like yeah like it, that's that would be and I know it's maybe it's really boring to talk about money when we talk about success but like mm. for me the reason I always talk about money and these kind of things is because money is, is freedom like mm. it is money is time yeah literally to me like that's it's time that I can write and I can mm. um create you know and so yeah I feel like that would be a big thing for me and then in terms of like creative success I don't know like mm. yeah just like people keep like letting me write things that I like to write about <laughs> and like I'd really like like I'm dipping into like um tv at the moment and, like I'd love to like work more in like tv and like mm. and in radio as well mm. and stuff so yeah if I can kind of have a consistent sort of plate of work that I really enjoy that'd be mm. great you know? yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like a an open-endedness it's like a freedom like a, f- a creative freedom as well as a sort of financial freedom yeah like to be free and it, like it'd be really nice if I could feel like financially I had like a year where like I knew I could survive for the next year money-wise mm, that'd be mm. great like I'm not I'm nowhere near that point I'm yeah I'm like I can get through till November and then what you yeah, know yeah yeah and like that does create its own nagging worry for sure yeah which is hard I think but mm. it's, it's what I signed up for and I'm okay with it but like it is still something that I think people forget about about freelance, you know, mm. when you, especially when you're not a freelance or especially when you haven't made any money from writing yet. And you're you're still any money you get is going to be like an amazing bonus because you yeah. have like a full time job or whatever. But like when you start re- actually relying on those small amounts of money, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because also it's like, oh, I know that I might have some money, but when will that money come well, in? Exactly. And, yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. The in, constant, don't get like, me started. Yeah. Uncertainty of like, when will they pay my invoice? Yeah. <laughs> just just. Just wondering, just you know, wondering, just still ticking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like stretching right now from like just remembering the kind of nagging 
like stress that that is at the back of my spine probably all the time <laughs> totally yeah. yeah no it's tough for sure and but that's like interesting and it's it's I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about success because like to a degree you, you are there like obviously it's not like it's not as sustainable as you would like but mm-hmm. like in many ways like I think that's such a like you talked about it sort of being humble but like I think it's so good when people are like success looks like me being able to make work and like when you are making work then you can be really grateful and I think gratefulness is such a big part of mental health like if you're grateful for what you've got then it's so much easier to kind of be at a level of contentment and like peace yeah I have one of those like you know there's like Instagram inspirational things which normally (laughs) I'm like I roll about but I have this one that's like remember when you wanted what you have now Mm. and I think that's a really good thing to remind yourself of especially when you're like chasing the next thing and you're like oh but I don't have this but it's yeah. like remember two years ago the person that had never had a plan and like yeah. never thought that it might happen or you know so that makes me feel good I think yeah you know that's so good especially when like things are stressful as well, well. exactly like, yeah and when you're like you know sighing about having to go and do this job which you desperately love and wanted to have wanted mm. to do for so long and you're like come on now just go do it like yeah, you know yeah. you want to yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's such an important thing but I also think it's, it's important because sometimes I feel guilty for complaining about things that are difficult mm. within like the thing that I love and so it's like it's so important to have the balance of like I am allowed to complain because that's natural like of course when you are and work is still work yeah know? exactly this culture of like do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life is <laughs> yeah. bullshit Rubbish. frankly yeah. do you know what I mean <laughs> like every, work is work even if you love it it's great if you love it yeah. plenty of people have a great life where they their work isn't their main focus and I think mm. that's amazing you know so like it's like yeah um, you, you, I think you're totally within your rights to complain because it's still hard and it's still tiring. Yeah. And like curveballs get thrown at you and like it, it can be really stressful. Yeah. But also I think it's so nice to like be able to vent and let that complaining out, but then also be like, but hey, me like five years ago would be like, my mouth would be Thrilled. a gape. Yeah. yeah I'd yeah. be like, what? You're doing what with your life? Exactly. Oh my God. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So having that balance, I think it's really important for, for the brain. Mm. Yeah. And um, what are you kind of like, excited about writing next i wrote writing next um well i'm working on a radio drama which i'm quite excited about um because radio is such a have you done any radio no yeah it's such a i just find it a really enjoyable form like it's so free and Mm. you can literally do kind of do anything i know you can sort of do anything with theater too but it just Mm. feels like um thinking about the unique ways you can use radio and how intimate radio can be like you can make people feel like you're whispering in their ear Mm. and like telling them a story and i really like that Mm. um so yeah working on that um and yeah, I'm pitching this TV thing. I don't mm. know if anyone want it. Um, <laughs> we will see. I'm writing a lot of like queer female stories at the moment. Yeah. Because um, I feel like not enough of those and like yes. nice to. So yeah, like basically everything, all of my projects at the moment are like. And then there's these two women and they're in love. <laughs> so yeah. Obsessed with that. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Get it in my veins. <laughs> basically. Yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of. I'm probably getting a bit one note, but hey, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, uh, <laughs> Do yeah. yeah, I think that's probably like, if I were to pitch something tomorrow, that would be uh, inc- incredibly the same vein. Like, so they're queer. Yeah. <laughs> and they love each other. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. And like, so like more broadly, beyond the stuff that you can kind of see, like right in front of you, like mm-hmm. what are you kind of excited about? Like if you were to be like, what's Margaret going to be writing in five years time? Like, and not to be like, pitch me an idea, more just like, yeah, like what, what excites you? Like what, what are you like? excited about writing in the future in the future um i'd love to write i'd love to write an adaptation of something Mm. like for film i think i feel like adaptation is so exciting because you Mm. get especially if it's something obviously it has to be something that you love yeah you get like the source material and the freedom of that to like have a source material but then so a lot of the work is done for you because obviously Mm. i mean not obviously but i find plotting the hardest thing (laughs) yeah so if i'm given a plot that already exists loose a loose plot that's Mm. a joy to me yeah i'm like i can like pour in themes and 
and thoughts and feelings that I care about into this like structure that someone else has come up with. And like, mm. yeah, so I would love to do adaptation. Mm. Yeah, ideally for film, I think, um, or, or telly, but. Mm. Um, and then I want to write an opera as well. I have Whoa. Sort of Low-key opera idea on the boil for a while. That's so cool. Yeah. Any female composers out there? Give me a shout. <laughs> Give me a call. <laughs> I love that. It's so interesting, like, talking to somebody who, like, has such a vast range of interests, like, across genre. Like, the fact that you, like, wanted to write a novel and want to write a novel, but mm. then also, like, it's not just theatre, it's film, it's TV, it's opera. Yeah, like, I'm a bit, like, I want to write all the things. Not in a, like, yeah. I mean, that makes me sound, like, very unfocused, but also, yeah, I do kind of want to write all the things. And I also feel it's necessary for, like, a career in this game is to, mm. is to try and is to is to have i mean you can't write just write plays and have have, have any sort of living, living i feel yeah. it's it's too hard unless mm. you have a west end thing yeah yeah but i'm not sure even you know financial non i would want that i really think it's like so rich and lovely and i know you've been doing some tv as well yeah recently but it's so rich and lovely to have like a, a platter of different yeah because they all pull on different parts of your brain right? yeah and i also think they help you to fall in love with the other thing like mm -hmm. I feel like working in TV like it's so nice to have like time away from theatre so sometimes when I go to theatre I'm like wow oh my god I've always loved this like and I'm coming back to it like it's like a lover that I haven't seen for like ages or something exactly yeah it reminds you of what's like special and exciting about each thing mm. um, and, and also like I find that the style or the way that you write for TV is different but you can learn from like the subtleties of like I feel like with like my first play, I feel like sometimes things are kind of all out there. And like, mm -hmm. um, I got a note about like, hey, try play with more subtext. And I feel like TV is kind of all about subtext. So I feel like I'll be able to come away from writing on, working on TV and then be like, cool, okay. I'm a bit better at subtext. I'm gonna work yeah. on this next draft. Like the sort of throwing yourself in between them, like. Totally, totally. And then when you go back to TV, you'll be like, this moment needs like loads and loads of feelings. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I can like <laughs> sneak them in like from my play. So yeah, I think there's like a lot of, uh, it's a really interesting different different skill sets for mm. sure and like this is probably my final question um what would you say inspires you i would say not to sound too corny but <laughs> i feel like for me art is like you know very like it's just so important to me and it's i guess mm. I, I see some people who are really religious or whatever and they get a lot from their faith and i feel mm. like i'm an atheist but what i get what what people get from faith I get from art like it gives me meaning and purpose in life mm. right and so i guess i'm inspired by being able to write something that maybe other people might feel that way about or like mm. having like like a collapsible there is one lady in the audience mm. who i who was coming out of the show and like at the end of the show like she was like having a little cry and her friend like Aww. gave her a hug and she was like it's really like it's okay not to be okay and i was mm. like that's so nice you know that, like, <laughs> some, like i don't know like just being able to like communicate with someone i guess yeah and like be like art makes me feel less alone so mm. if, like other people if i make art and people see that and they feel less alone that feels that's inspiring to me mm. i guess and like, it makes um, me think of that um bit in the history boys like i always think about it the like bit where it talks about when you read something in a book and like um there's this like thought or word or, or phrase or something that you thought like was something that was particular to you or like a feeling yeah. that only you had felt but like you see it like written down by somebody who like is maybe long dead or like mm -hmm. is compl lives in a different country from you and like it describes it as like it feels like a hand has like reached out and like taken yours yeah exactly exactly and I feel like uh, all the yeah all the good art that I like does that for me so it, mm. to try and make something that might do that for someone else isn't the, the main and probably only reason that I do this mm. I would say that's yeah. like <laughs> so interesting that it's like it's entirely led by like a kind of a generosity for humanity like I'd say like, there's something <laughs> in that that's like I want to like 
touch someone else and yeah. I want them to feel I guess like, so yeah no for sure and also I mean also it helps me sort out my own brain you know mm. like as well so there's definitely a selfishness to it too yeah um but yeah I do feel like if you're writing about experiences you've had it's best to write about them like after would you yeah, agree like yeah like you write about things when you're in them they can be t- the, the thing you write is probably more useful to you than it is to anyone else yeah it's like a couple of years have passed you can look back on it and that feels like when the time is to like try and offer it out I guess that's interesting because it's a kind of like balance between like theater or art as therapy or mm. like art as like like something objective for other people and like I feel like the best is like a sort of balance between the two because I think if you're in it it's just a kind of screaming wail exactly <laughs> like, uh, exactly um whereas and like, even like you know like people like Brownie Kimmings who, who you, you could say maybe um you might put her in the artist therapy camp actually her mm. work is so rigorous and she's worked through all of that already yeah herself. And yeah, she yeah. Even, like in my, I'm a phoenix bitch she's like I've already dealt with these feelings you know yeah. so like you know that the thing you're seeing is for you it's not yeah. for her like yeah it, obviously at one point it was but now it's like beyond that point. and I think with I'm a phoenix bitch like what was so great about it is like the this sense of perspective like and, and that was in the set like I don't know how to describe the set for people who didn't get to see oh, it, it but like yeah. yeah it was like it was, it was like this huge hill in it it was it was amazing but like I feel like it was kind of all about that perspective and having the space away from the traumatic thing mm-hmm. to be able to see it for what it was like it was horrible at the time I like got a tattoo recently for like I got like two tattoos don't tell my mum oh my god shit um, <laughs> <laughs> mum don't listen to this um, <laughs> but like um, I got like my first tattoos and one of them is like a wave and like if when you're in a wave like if you're drowning it feels mm. like it's the worst thing in the world but when you're like on the shore and you're looking at it like the sea is the most relaxing thing in the world and I feel yeah. like if you write something well with enough distance like you've had like a true real experience but like with a bit of perspective and space like you can see it for like how it could shape your life and like make everything feel like it wasn't necessarily all for nothing and all for horrible like, yeah yeah definitely agree yeah, mm. for sure oh so great to talk to you yeah Thanks you so too much for coming no, on the show <laughs> Just to remind everyone, Margaret's play Collapsible opens at the Bush on the 5th of February and you can see it from then. Hope you enjoy. Great. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks so much for listening to Making It. If you'd like to hear more, make sure to subscribe and leave us a cheeky five-star review. You can also follow me on Twitter, at WilkyWay, and you can book to see my debut play, The High Table, which will be on at the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush from February the 8th. Making It is produced by Jane Ryan, Edited and scored by Kazra Faruzia, photography by Jess Ravel, artwork by Theo Banner, and hosted by me, Temi Wilkie. The podcast is supported by the Bush Theatre and London Playwrights, and is a proud member of the One Fine Play Network.